0: stomping jen
1: sawtooth
0: right we are here once again and i am very excited we are going to be talking to somebody from our local community here in Mm -hmm. belchertown massachusetts her name is ellie vaughn she is the owner and operator of phoenix fruit farm which also has a really cool country store associated Mm -hmm. with it. So we're going to talk all about this and I have many questions as usual. Oh, awesome. Insightful questions, stomping Jen. Great. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Let's go. Soft Serve Podcast: Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Oh, stomping Jen! Sorry. Here we are. What I are distra- you sorry? F- I distracted what are you sorry you. for? You did distract I'm me. I'm sorry. My timing is a little off because of you. How dare you? I apologize. All right. Well, without further ado. I want to introduce our guest, Ellie Vaughn, from Phoenix Fruit Farm in Belchertown, Massachusetts. Hello, Ellie.
2: Hi, guys. Hi, Sawtooth Frank. Hi, Stomping Jen.
0: (laughs) Thank you for taking time to talk to us. Um, I'm really excited for this conversation because we've lived in Belchertown. How long, Stomping Jen? Oh, like
1: 15, no, longer since like 2004 how many years is that oh
0: like 16 years right we moved here yeah Yeah. coming
1: up on 17
0: yeah and um years ago when your farm ellie phoenix fruit farm got on my radar anyways i was really excited um Mm -hmm. because i love that area of our town that your Mm -hmm. farm is in and i'm gonna ask you about that a little bit later but um so anyways welcome and um, I want to give you an opportunity just to tell us a little bit more about yourself, whatever you'd like to to tell us that I missed, because I'm sure you're more than just the owner and operator of the farm. So.
2: All right. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for thinking of me. Um, It's always great to sit down with some, you know, neighbors and uh, nerd out about farming because that's like my favorite thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So I uh, have been farming for 15 years. I went to UMass for plant and soil science, got my degree there, um, worked on other various organic vegetable farms for some years. After I got done with college, I did some farm management and um, came here to this farm that I now own initially as a manager for um, Atkins. And after a couple of years working here, I purchased the farm from them and uh, proceeded to renovate a an orchard that had been somewhat neglected for about 20 years um, you know, when I first arrived here, I could see that there was a lot, um, that had just a lot of deferred maintenance and everything from the trees to the machines, to the buildings, um, to the soil itself, just a lot of catch up to do to bring this farm into the future. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of become my life's work. This orchard owns me now. Um, (laughs) it, you know, the, the, tree sap runs in my veins. I just, like, eat, sleep, and breathe orchard fruit. And uh, um, started the store because I needed a retail outlet for my apples, and then the store just turned into this crazy, you know, diverse, like, we have products from all over the valley in the store, as well as just the general New England area. We've really kind of leaned into um, being a, a local food purveyor not only of our own produce but of um, an entire community of food suppliers and, and local farms and um i've always been really passionate about the principles behind organic farming and um, when i was in college uh, i had a my concentration for my major was in food systems so i learned a lot about um how broken the global food system is and, um, became really, um, passionate about, uh, being part of a lo- more localized food system and kind of taking my place as a part of a web of local food producers that sort of stand as a buffer between the environment and, and vulnerable communities that, you know, this global food s- food system threatens to damage, um, so that's sort of my uh, my ethos. <laughs> that's that's what keeps me. That's what keeps me going is is just feel. You know, yeah. I just like to feel like I'm doing something, um, something honest, something important, mm-hmm. something that matters. Um, and I just love. Hard work, you know, that's what really got me. Like my first farm job, I just went woofing because I wanted to travel. I took a year off in college. Uh, I, I was originally an English major, and I took a year off halfway through that degree to figure out what I want to do with my life. What and is I, um,
0: what is woofing? Can you tell us um, about that?
2: Worldwide opportunities on organic farms. There's Woof programs in many different countries. You can travel to various organic farms and um, you know, do short-term stays there and, and exchange work for room and board and food and sometimes a small stipend. Uh and it's a great way to just travel if you're broke, because you can get around and get to places and and work in exchange for um for passage, basically. And you know, I just fell in love with the lifestyle. You know, it was the first time I'd had a job that was very physically demanding. And, and it was the first time in my life that I like actually slept well. Mm. Uh, so that was very impactful for me. Just, uh, when so it was, a
0: when you were on your woofing tour, did you work on any fruit farms? Like, were you exposed to this particular kind of agriculture in, in that process? And is that what kind of lit the fire in you?
2: For for tree fruit production, not really. The first farm I worked at was a small, it was like a five acre diverse um, CSA farm and they had like a couple apple trees that they did a little bit with, but I didn't really learn much about tree fruit um, until I started um managing this farm up here I mean I had a lot of farming experience and I had taken an orchard science class in college and I did work at the UMass orchard for a season when I was in college Uh, but I it's been trial by fire doing tree fruit is definitely a whole other level up from from annual vegetables and I've been at it now for five years and um um, I just, I love it so much. It's, it, it's just such a longer story arc, you know, planting yeah. an orchard. It's, you're thinking about five, 10 years, you know, down the line, you know, it's not, it's not until the fourth year, at least that you get your first crop off of your planting. And, you know, that that's your crop for some decades. Um, so it's a very different kind of farming.
0: Definitely take some faith. You know, yes. like being, putting yeah. putting those, I don't know if you put them in his seeds or his baby trees, but being able to <laughs> think ahead, like, you know. Yeah, you ten- plant
2: whips, but yeah, they're, they're little sticks basically that you yeah. plant and you're like in five years, you're going to be a, a mature, productive tree. And then for the following 15, 20 years, I'm going to be pruning you every year. And, you know, you really, um. you don't have a lot of room for error because it's not like you can be, you know, like with tomatoes, you're like, Oh, I screwed up pruning that tomato plant. Oh, well, Mm -hmm. I'll turn it under and try again next year. But if you screw up, you know, pruning your apple tree, you're like, Oh, I'm going to live with that mistake for a long time. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's different.
0: (laughs) Now the farm, the farm that you now own Phoenix fruit farm, um, has a really long history in our town, Belcher town, Massachusetts. Um, I think it, It has been in existence since 1963, um, based on my... Actually, before that, too. Before that. um,
2: That was when Atkins started the orchards up here, but before Mm -hmm. that, it was the Cordner Farm, Mm -hmm. and it was like turnips and feed crops, and I know this because this old-timer fellow uh, named Hislop, he's a local guy, Mm -hmm. uh, dropped by one time when I had first purchased the land... And his father built the barn that I now live in on the property here. Oh, wow. This little white barn here was a, built as a horse barn in 1935, back when it was the Cordner Farm. So this farm has a long, long history in Belchertown.
0: And do you, um, when you embark on a, I don't even want to call it a project, but when you embark on an endeavor like this, do you feel that history and sense of responsibility as you move forward?
2: absolutely this this piece of land is so special it's so moving to be up here have you ever been at the top of the hill at the farm here
0: uh, yeah and You've we use the views yeah. and just
2: the majestic element of the orchards on the hill I mean this place just like it strikes you to your core to to stand here and look out at it it's it's an incredibly um bracing experience to see yeah. this place for the first time
0: we used to um, drive by um your farm where it is now on that road and look at the buildings and look up the hills, like at the orchards and just, what will we say well, we, to... we, we want to live there <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's a yeah. it's a gift this place yeah. is a, it's a, an incredible yeah. um piece of natural beauty right here in town it's just an yeah. absolute gem
1: yeah sawtooth um, i don't know that you've ever actually taken a tour i haven't um, of i'd the love farm, to but um, i was lucky enough to meet ellie a few years ago and um she she was um, generous enough to bring me up the hill and like you you get up there and it's just like she said it's amazing you can see for miles you can see the quabbin which is yeah. the giant reservoir um that feeds boston Feeds um, it
0: boston it's water yeah uh,
1: it's just it's it's amazing it really yeah. is amazing it's very special
0: yep. and did you name the farm phoenix fruit farm when you bought it and you launched your own endeavor
2: yeah, I named it Phoenix uh, after the allegory of the Phoenix rising from the ashes because uh, the farm did experience some um, some neglect, like I was mentioning, there's definitely some deferred maintenance going on in some areas and it, it was definitely it's been a renewal process to sort of lift it back up and bring it into the future. So I sort of went with the allegory of the, you know the Phoenix yeah. that perishes and is reborn.
0: Does the um, phoenix have any other special meaning to you? Uh
2: it's it's it does. I <laughs> would like to tell you that story in person. Okay, um, yeah,
0: you don't have to reveal it here.
2: Yeah, it's it's definitely something that it, we can talk about later. This will this will
0: imbue <laughs> you with a sense of mystery, which I like. Yes, so, yes. Um, okay. Um so what kind of fruit do you grow on the farm? What are your main what are your major crops up there?
2: Well, when I first got here, there was already some mature fruit trees. Uh, there was like forty acres of apples and about five acres of peaches. When I when I say mature, I mean aging orchards um, that need. You know some renovation. Um, so, but I'm still nursing those. Some of the a lot of those old trees are still here. I've started cutting some of the oldest sections down and replanting with new tree fruit. So, my current productive trees are still apples and peaches. I did plant um, in 2018 another block of peaches, as well as nectarines and pears. Uh, in 2019, I put in some table grapes and some more apples, as well as strawberries and asparagus. Um, this coming season, 2021, will be the first year that I will harvest my first peach crop and uh, nectarine crop off of my young trees that I that I planted a couple of years back. Can so I... peaches and nectarines are some of the quickest tree fruits. Three short years before you get your your first crop oh, after wow. you plant them.
0: <laughs> I, I was surprised when I saw that you sold peaches because I was laboring under the. Um misconception i guess that peaches are like a southern crop and that they didn't grow up here
2: yeah they things have changed um i mean you can grow peaches this far up north once you get into vermont it's getting too cold it used to be that a peach grower in new england would depend on losing having a total loss on their crop like every three or four years because of the cold injury Mm -hmm. they're definitely more susceptible to that um that is changing with climate change Mm. Uh, the zones are slowly shifting so I think you'll start to see in the next 20 to 30 years, um, you will be able to grow peaches up in Vermont. And oh, wow. New, Eng- New England now, we have um, a much more reliable uh, peach crop because of the milder winters we are not having. It's very unusual to have extended periods where the low temperatures reach below negative 13. And that's that's just about the, the most that a peach tree can take. Mm. Um, so we look at... Uh, and if you see a night that's going to be in the negative, you know, below zero, down to negative 10 or less, that's when you start sweating about your peaches. Um, but that is becoming less and less common in our, yeah. in our winters here now. So,
0: yeah, I'm just thinking it's I mean, it's not very often we get no. a, a, either an isolated night or a stretch yeah. of nights where it's that cold.
2: Yeah, you need like a, you know, I mean, one one night in the low negative fifteen region can certainly put some damage on your peaches. You wouldn't mm-hmm. get a total loss unless you saw a more extended, you know, two or three days of a cold snap like that would would pretty much eradicate your entire peach yeah. crop.
0: Here's a silly question: You mentioned you have some trees that are like eighty years old or like older. Can you taste the fruit from like an old a tree that old and say, oh, an old tree made this versus like a young tree? Are there like I don't know, taste this is, profiles yeah, d- for differences in trees. the taste of the fruit like from the age of the tree
2: i wouldn't say so um the oldest trees on the property were planted in 1963 so i think the oldest trees we have are like 60 year old trees so not quite that old okay um and then there are some trees that were planted in the 80s which you know obviously now are getting on to be almost 40 years old I don't think there's a significant difference in the flavor. I will say that there are other uh, indicators. Um, There is more secondary fungal disease in the older trees. So Mm. they're a little bit less, um, just because they're not as young and vigorous and vibrant, they tend to get sick more, Mm. you know, just like people do. Yeah. Um, so you'll see symptoms of fungal disease like um, in- inhibited yield, smaller fruit size. I do not believe that it impacts the flavor of, of the fruit. Like a Macintosh on a on a tree planted in the 60s, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that and one planted, you know, on a tree that was planted, you know, 20, 30 years later.
0: Mm. Yeah, that, I mean, sober. that makes sense. Um, I know nothing about how, fruit trees. So, how, so yeah
1: we sorry this is totally like a personal fruit question
0: personal fruit, <laughs> personal question. fruit question we have <laughs> oh a we
1: have a pear tree and we don't do anything to this pear tree and then i always feel bad and then um
0: like every couple of years it'll be it like, like okay fruits, i'm going to be a pear tree and yeah. i'm going to make a lot of pears for you and then some years it's like
1: no eh, no pears i don't feel
0: like being a pear tree this year
1: and then we don't even know how old the tree is so I think there used to be an orchard up where we used to
0: live. There was an orchard. That's what we've been told. where we live.
1: Um, So that's not really a question. I guess, like, how do we know if our tree is, like, near the end of its life cycle?
2: (laughs) Well, uh, you know... These trees can live for hundreds of years. Yeah. When I talk about like these trees needing to be renovated, needing to be cut down, mm-hmm. I'm thinking from a production standpoint. Right. Um, yeah. These trees that were planted in the sixties, they could live forever. You know, you could cut it down and it'll still try to sprout up and it's not dead. Mm-hmm. But in terms of how many, what the kind of yield I can get off of it compared with the inputs, um, right. it starts to reach an age where it's past its productive lifespan. span. Yeah. And they're past that at this point, they should have been, um, you know, just like at any other farm, you have to periodically, um, cut down old trees and replant new so that your greater orchard organism is staying young and productive and healthy. Mm -hmm. Um, and there, there just wasn't much of that activity here for a couple of decades. So I'm catching up with that. Um, but you know, your pear tree, it might be a very old tree and it might be a tree that could live for another very long time. If you want to help it along, like pruning never hurts. Yeah. Um, giving it you know i always tell people to get a soil test i don't know if the mm-hmm. the soil labs around here would want to be inundated with like every homeowner like what what do i do for my pear <laughs> <beer> tree <laughs> but you know it never hurts to give it some micronutrients you know give it a little hmm. you know some sort of um, organic fertilizer some compost yeah. some, some yeah. rock dust they love mineralized rock dust hmm. um and uh you know, these trees are um, apple and pear trees are biennial by nature. They will okay. tend to have one heavy year, one light year. You might have a year where they're dripping with pe- pears, and the next year there's nothing. Um, you might get a cold injury that could, you know, make them non productive. There's a lot of things that can make a tree just not produce fruit in a mm. season.
0: Do you have so, any um, pears up on your farm?
2: Yeah, I have some young pear trees that I okay. planted in 2018, yeah. so I'll be harvesting those in 2022. Okay. I have both both European and Asian pears. Hmm. Um, a nice little spread.
0: And you have lots of apples. I was looking on your website. I counted somewhere north of ten varieties that you offer.
2: Yeah, we have a. I grow about a dozen apple varieties up here. And there are hundreds of apple varieties. Um, You know, the ones that I have are some of the, you know, big commercial wholesale favorites of the 60s and 70s, which are some of which are falling out of style in our day and age. So that's another reason why some of them have to go because nobody buys Red Delicious apples anymore. So why am I, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, fertilizing, mowing, pruning, thinning? harvesting and packing you know red delicious apples that nobody wants
0: (laughs) i still love red delicious apples
2: they're like candy i love them um, (laughs) very sorry to say that i i cut them down so that i could (laughs) oh no (laughs) (laughs) i I need more peaches man the peaches get ransacked. people go wild Mm -hmm. over the peach and it's such a short season and um i'm like i need just like 20 more acres of peaches because i can never have enough Uh, people just eat them up
0: and you have let me count um like well let me ask you how many varieties of peaches do you grow like a dozen like
2: Oh, gosh. Maybe like eight or nine, but nobody cares about peach varieties. I mean, a lot of them are just called like, you know, Paul Friday 17-002. It's not something that anyone's (laughs) heard of. You know, it's not like with apples where people, you know, it's much debated about what's the best pie apple or what's the best Mm. cider apple or what's the best sauce apple. Like peaches are just, you know, there's early peaches, mid-season peaches, late-season peaches, white peaches, yellow peaches, donut peaches i mean Hmm. these are the these are the terms people commonly use when they're talking about different kinds of peaches the varietal names aren't really as much of a thing um but you know that could change cultures shift things change people you know become interested in different things and
1: i could start a peach revolution and
2: start giving them names yeah you know, that's sometimes it just starts with one person who's got a, a crazy dream. You know, you wanna start a peach revolution, I'm I'm with you.
0: Stomping Jen, you have your mission.
2: <laughs> um so but I, have you heard of the garnet beauty? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um Ellie, I saw on your Instagram or maybe a Facebook post, I think it was it was very recently, you were out in the apple orchards grafting apples. I like believe pruning or pruning. Was it I think pruning? pruning? Was it
2: was it a social media post we made yeah. with me and Natalie and my dog? Yeah. And I we think were, so. Yeah. Yeah. Or pruning. Yeah, pruning the trees. Yeah. Pruning.
0: Okay. Um, pruning. Why did I think it said grafting? I don't know. Is, Gra- is that
2: grafting is a thing you do with apples. We propagate them by grafting, but that's not that's a different thing. That's where you take your, your scion wood, which is the variety that you like, and you graft it to the rootstock, which will dictate the size of the tree, its cold hardy qualities, and um other um, qualities like disease resistance, um, are all imparted by rootstock. So tr- apple trees are basically cloned through grafting. Um, so you are not off by using the word grafting in a conversation about apples. Um, okay. so yeah, and but we were pruning the trees. That's what you do in the winter to, to clear them up and reinvigorate them and, and f- shape them, get the branches like to where they're going to have, have the correct amount of fruit for support so that the branches aren't breaking and, mm. you know, All that sort of enforcing and enhancing sun penetration, air penetration. Um, making sure that there's no limbs that are going to come out so far into the road that my tractor's hitting them, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. So
0: another silly question: Are the trees asleep right now? Like, will they're they? They're dormant. Will they wake up and be like, "Oh, okay, I got a haircut over the winter. I'm feeling good. I'm gonna." <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly.
2: That's okay. exactly what it's like, Frank. <laughs> That's what it's like.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: They're taking a little nap. We're gonna yeah. just, you know, give them a little trim, trim while they're asleep, and yeah. then they'll come they'll wake up feeling like a whole new tree
0: like is it better to do that to them while they're dormant versus while they're like awake early in the spring and starting production is that why you do it in the winter or is it because i'm just i'm making assumptions there's less to do on the farm in the winter and you can get out there and do it or
2: No, you're correct that they do need to, you do need to wait for dormancy to prune. Um, You wait until all of the leaves have dropped at the end of the season. And that's, that's generally the indicator that they're fully dormant. Um, For commercial orchards, we will start as soon as they arrive at dormancy for a home grower that or a homesteader that has a smaller orchard it's best to wait until late winter like March when the greatest danger of cold injury has passed because trees are although they are dormant they are more susceptible to cold injury for the two weeks following a pruning event so it takes them about two weeks to heal those wounds and during that time they are more sensitive so, you know, you check your extended forecast and you're like, if I see like a huge dip in temperature, like a major cold snap, I might avoid pruning during that period. Um, Mm -hmm. just because of that, for that reason that they become more sensitive to that. Um, and yeah, we have to get them pruned because once they get right up until bloom, you can prune until they hit bloom. And at that point, the major factor is that, um, when you make cuts on a tree during the spring and summer seasons, that can open them up to disease issues. Mm -hmm. So any open wound on the tree is a vector for disease. So... Uh, fire blight comes to mind. That's a major bacterial disease in Mm. orchards and any open wounds on the tree can be a vector for fire blight, which is a very dangerous and very serious illness for a tree, for an apple tree. Pears and apples both can get fire blight.
0: Is that a fungus or is that like a bacteria? It's a bacterial.
2: um, Yeah. So that's something where even if like a branch, you know, like say I hit my branch with my tractor by accident and break it, if I do that during the heat of the summer, during fire blight infection season, I could have a problem. Um, mm-hmm. So that's part of why we also don't want to do major pruning uh, during those months.
0: And, and I think that's something people may not always think about. Like mm. trees and plants are living organisms that are susceptible to infections like people are, bacteria, funguses, even viruses, right?
2: That's that's correct.
0: Yep. And so do yeah. you as a farmer have to be kind of um also i don't know what they're called who are the people who pathologists? yeah like do you who who treat the medical diseases for trees like do you have to be aware of what all the possible diseases are that they can get and be ready to treat them or do you call somebody in to do that
2: um a little of both. so I do have you know some rudimentary knowledge of the pests and disease that affect apple trees. I do have a lot on my plate during the season, so I have a i have a an ipm scout who comes in. she is a pathology and entomology expert. so that's like her her wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. she'll come and she'll set up the sticky traps and she'll monitor for the presence of pests and she'll also you know give me. Recommendations for treatments based on what she sees in her monitoring, as well as the upcoming weather that we're looking at. So, during the spring, when it starts to warm up and you start to get rainy, rainy spells, that those can be disease infection periods. When it's warm, when it's wet, that's when some fungal diseases can start to uh, come mm-hmm. into play. So she'll be, she's my like wing person for you know if I'm like, hey, this week it's gonna rain. I'm thinking I might want to do this. What do you think? She's like a sounding board for me when I think that I should be going out there to do a protective treatment. And she'll be like, yes, go do that. Or no, do it next week. Or, you know, here's what you should use. Mm. Um, So a consultant, she's a consultant and she's an expert in the field because I can have, you know, I've got the rudimentary knowledge and I've got some instincts around it, but she's, I can't be the expert at every single thing. So Right. You know, it's good to have like a kind of a, a team, We're yep. a, which is part of the team.
0: Yep. And IPM um, is Integrated Pest Management, right?
2: Correct. I yeah. Can, she, can, you yep. want me to talk about IPM a little bit? Uh,
0: sure. I, I I think people might be, um a, I think people may not know what it is. And I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear you talk about what that is. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so integrated pest management is a, a system of uh, managing, and not just in farms, but also you know hospitals use IPM. Um, any like public offices, places like schools um, for you know basic any sort of pest issues. Um, basically, the concept of it is that you're trying to find non chemical methods of control, and using those first, and only resorting to chemical methods when all other methods have failed. And also, um, there's a concept in IPM called you know, using a threshold, like an economic threshold. So, for example, with um, plum curculio um, is a major orchard pest. Um, if there's X amount of plum curculios per tree, um, we start to get to where, you know, there's, there's a number of, of insects per tree that becomes like, that's your economic threshold where you must, you know, get. Um, Like enact some form of control. But if the threshold is lower than that, then that is an acceptable population of plum curculio in your orchard that is not going to have an economic impact on your crop. And this is a big deal because in the farming days of yore, you used to be that growers would just go out there and spray by the calendar regardless of what was out there. And if they even saw like one thing out there, they'd be like, all right, eradicate everything, spray by the calendar, Um, there really wasn't this like concept of like, I can have some pests in my orchard and that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's only once those populations get to this level that I need to take action. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's an important concept because it speaks to an ecological balance, um, You, you you can't just eradicate everything that eats your trees because then you end up with spikes in those same populations because their natural predators will leave because there's no longer a food source for them. Right. And then there you'll see a resurgence of that pest population that's even worse than your initial problem. So you create this cycle where you're eradicating mm-hmm. it the, you know, the, uh, predatory species will disappear and then it spikes again and you have to eradicate it again. And then you get locked into this cycle of using a lot of chemicals.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so this is like one piece of IPM that I, you know, kind of delving really deeply into that is really important to me is the economic threshold. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I believe in fostering a complex ecosystem here to prevent those sort of like alarming and devastating spikes in pest populations. Mm. Um, So there are folks like my um, consultant, Kathleen, who are who study, you know, IPM management in a specific application, like in an orchard, for example, and they like are the expert in their field on like, here's, you know, advanced IPM in an orchard setting, and I'm going to like be your consultant to sort of guide you through you know, any pest or disease issue that comes up, I'm going to have like, here's your cultural methods, here's your biological methods. And those are the things you use before you get to your chemical methods. So things like orchard cleanliness, like chopping the leaf litter and, you know, getting rid of some of the scab inoculum from the previous season that can get rid of 94% of the inoculum in the orchard before I even go out there with a single fungicide spray. So what's
0: um what's inoculum? Is that like a fungal spore or? Something, like, y- yes. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, inoculum is, you know, so like you people who grow shiitakes, they inoculate a log with like the shiitake Mm -hmm. inoculum, and that's what grows that fungus. So um, that's how fungus propagates
0: so clean and so i'm
2: not a mycologist i'm just i'm, I'm just playing on farmer TV. speak for you know <laughs> some mushrooms work i don't know i'm just a farmer but so literally you know,
0: the- so literally like cleaning up a lot of the, like the loose debris on the orchard um grounds can yeah. help help promote a healthier orchard because you're getting rid yes. of all of that stuff that could infect the trees
2: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Scab. Wow. Apple scab is a fungal disease and the, the inoculum lives on the leaves and it overwinters on the orchard floor in the leaves. So even just like people who have studied apples. It's unbelievable the little details that you get, like chopping a leaf to like a two inch diameter or less it eliminates 94% of the scab inoculum on the leaf. Like, can you imagine being in a lab and being like, all right, three inch, no, that's, there's still scab there. Let's, let's try two inch. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. That's the sweet spot. And then they go on and tell all these farmers, like, all right, you got to chop your leaves to two in to a two inch piece. And then, and then you're getting rid of most of your, so anyway, I'm, I'm getting off in, into the weeds here, but this, this is what I'm, this is one of the concepts of IPM is, is using these um, non-chemical methods to, to reduce uh, pest and disease presence Mm -hmm. in your your workplace, in your orchard, and then only getting to that chemical step if everything else has failed. Um, I do want to give you one example of a biological control method, Um, predatory mites. So there are pest species of mites that will affect apple trees. There are predatory species of mites that will eat the pest mites. And you can release these predatory mites into your orchard. And as long as there's like a certain population uh, an acceptable, economically acceptable threshold population of the pest species; those predatory mites will stay, and they will set up camp, and they'll just become present in your orchard, and will continuously control those pest populations and keep them under the economic threshold. So that's a biological control method mm. that you would use, you know, for mites before you just go out and grab, you know, a broad-spectrum insecticide and throw it all over the place. Mm-hmm. You know, you you try other things first, mm. um, and making sure that your targeting those pest species at the most sensitive point in their life cycle is also part of ipm Um, knowing when that species of mite or that species you know like that plum curculio is at its most vulnerable stage of its life cycle and targeting it at that point will also minimize you know your um overall footprint you know in the orchard Um, so some pretty advanced stuff.
0: Yeah. Are there, are there insects like, um, praying mantises or something that you would purchase and introduce into your orchard? Or do you, do you rely on, um, a more like naturalistic approach? Like the, the, the native beneficial species should emerge. Like if you're maintaining a healthy orchard, do you have to like, do you have to introduce them, I guess, into the ecosystem?
2: Uh, It's a little bit of both. Um, So I did do a predatory mite release in my orchard. And basically what it entailed was going over to my friends up at Clarkdale Orchard, where they have these predatory mites in this certain block of Macintosh, and taking some foliage from their tree and putting it in a bag and then I came out here and this is, this is the stuff that we do. And I just like took some masking tape and I taped the leaves onto to the my trees. own apple tree.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny,
2: but it works. It yeah. works. That's what you do. Um, so, but they, you do like, I mean, you do encourage some natural predators that already exist in the area. Like surfeit flies uh, are here and they will eat certain pest species in, in the orchard. Um, you know, My dog is a natural control method. She hunts voles like no other. Mm -hmm. She's out there every day, diligently digging them up. Mm -hmm. She gets at least one to two voles a day. She is a (laughs) cultural. She's a biological control method.
0: That's awesome. Because I wanted to ask you (laughs) about larger um, non-insect pests. So rodents. Rodents. How about voles
2: are a major one. Yeah. What about bunnies?
0: Bunnies, what about like well, deer? Well, bunnies more for
2: the vegetables. But deer yeah, deer. And yeah, deer are an issue. Um, for There's two points in the year where the deer can be an issue. The first is in the spring when the new buds are coming in on young trees, the deer will come and graze, especially in the young peaches. They really like the peach buds, and that can really damage a tree. And then in the late fall, like uh, September, October, the bucks will come and rub their antlers on the tree's and they can really mess up a tree um just like shaving the bark off of it Mm. because they're rubbing you know they're trying to get that fuzz what's that stuff yeah the velvety Um, stuff that's on their antlers they're rubbing it off in the like in the late fall the mid to late fall yeah so that's so yeah deer are and and then the cultural method that i use is i've got a couple of hunter bow hunter dudes that'll come up Mm -hmm. during the season and they got two big bucks this year Mm. um so and uh in terms of the rodents um there i've seen a few hawks out here and mm-hmm. kestrels and there are some owls out here as well so we've mm-hmm. got some predatory birds um mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. some work
0: now um you use organic farming methods if i'm am i did I read that correctly no, your... that oh. is
2: nope. We do not use organic. Um, and I, I can tell you why. Yep. Um, so uh I will preface this by saying that I I firmly believe in the principles behind organic agriculture. I think that it is best practices in a lot of different applications, particularly in vegetable production. Um for commercial fruit production, um, at the the size of this orchard and the varieties that are planted here. Um organic methods would actually end up being more chemically intensive than an advanced IPM program. Mm. And the reason being, really the big reason for that is apple scab in the spring. Um, The only organic approved sprays for apple scab are copper and sulfur. Basically, those are the only ones that really work at all. And they're not as effective as um you know a gentle low residue synthetic they don't stick around as long so you have to use more of it and just because it's got an omri label on it does not mean that it's better it's not inherently better for the environment than Mm -hmm. a synthetic you know petroleum-based spray it's heavy metals which are present in trace amounts in the soil but when you start dousing yeah. heavy metals on your soil that's doing some damage. Um, mm-hmm. you're driving the pH down, it's locking up nutrients in the soil. Um, it's bad for anything that's growing there. Um, you can if you if you use too much of this heavy metal and you get your pH down low enough, it can start to kill your apple trees because they aren't getting nutrients anymore because the pH has gotten down so low. Um, so you know, during the spring, when it's raining like heck, and we've got scab inoculum flying up from the leaf litter, reinfecting the trees, um, you have to spray to protect your trees, whether you're organic or you're not, you're spraying a fungicide. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're spraying, um, copper, you're probably for, if it's raining for a week straight, you're going to be out there probably three, four, five times because it doesn't have, um, a surfactant in it to keep that from you know getting washed out by the rain so you're out there three four times spraying copper on that tree for that same scab infection period with a you know like the the gentlest most targeted least residual synthetic you could take care of that with one maybe two applications so your overall footprint is going to be less um and this this isn't to say that you cannot have an organic orchard in new england you certainly can Mm -hmm. um but you're probably growing cider apples because there's a lot of, um, cosmetic fungal diseases like fly speck and sooty blotch, which are also called the summer diseases, are these little brown spots that appear all over the apples and they are purely cosmetic like that is Mm -hmm. still a sound fruit it will still store, it will still taste like an apple should, um, but it's going to look like an ugly piece of crap and nobody (laughs) is going to buy it Mm -hmm. so, you know, people want an organic fruit, but they also will not buy an apple unless it's perfectly round and shiny and and red and like, you know, beautiful um so you can you can do great work bear swamp orchard up in Asheville. they do great they have like five acres um they grow it all for their heart cider which is delicious um and they're all organic um, but they don't sell dessert fruit because people look at an organic apple grown in New England and they're just like, this looks like garbage. I'm not mm-hmm. buying this.
0: How, did, how um, did we fall into this trap where we what, believe like that... real fruit and vegetables? Well, that all produce should be completely like blemish or irregularity free. Like...
2: I mean i think that there is some instinct around that because a damaged piece of produce can mean that it's not going to keep as well it could be there could be bacteria hiding in a wound um there's a reason you don't want to eat a rotting looking piece of fruit but Mm -hmm. there are some things that are purely cosmetic like a carrot that has two legs there's not a darn thing wrong with that it's just a carrot that looks like you know kind (laughs) of weird but it gets passed over in the grocery store um i'm not sure why um people can't accept it's it's definitely just a cultural hiccup Mm -hmm. that we need to you know rethink Um, yeah
0: yeah no but and i
2: will say that there is a lot more that could be done in orchards to kind of um to focus some breeding programs around um disease resistance, as opposed to like the next Honeycrisp, you know, everyone's trying to race to breed the next, you know, big, super popular sweet as a jolly rancher, you know, like mm-hmm. super watery, giant glowing apple. And that's largely at the expense of doing research on, um, what can we do to like reduce the need for chemicals in apples in New England? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, so, there's a lot to be done there. Um, anyway, so there's you know there's some unique challenges to growing tree fruit organic, and I chose an advanced IPM program. Because I believe it, that in the situation I'm in, at the scale I'm at with the varieties that are out here, like Macintosh, and Cortland, everybody's favorite apples are basically the most scab-prone apples. Mm. And that's what I ha- inherited here. And it would not make sense to try and grow them organic because they need they would need so much fungicide that it would, it would be worse um, yeah. yep. to try and do it organically.
0: Thank you for that explanation. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people just assume that... Like organic is something that makes sense all the time in every situation and everybody should be doing it all the time. So I I really appreciated actually hearing that.
2: I mean, um, I, I, again, I, I largely think like the principles in organic agriculture are, you know, they, I truly believe in that. And I, I grow my vegetable crops with organic practices. Um, but the tree fruit, this size of orchard the varieties that are here it's it just does not make sense to try and do organic production on them
0: um can you can you talk to us a little bit about um pollinators and the importance of like a what are they right and for people listening to our podcast yeah. we, have we have a whole episode about on this on pollinators <laughs> we did a while back um Ooh, that was really oh, that was really interesting um we talked to a woman in our town um actually Heidi Dollard who is a pollinator activist and is is working on A lot of initiatives around raising pollinator awareness. And anyways, um, I wanted to ask you if you could just tell us, tell us for people who probably didn't listen to that episode, what a pollinator is and like why they're important to what you do and how you promote them and take care of them.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not an entomologist and I'm not a pollinator activist and well, I suppose in a way I could be considered one, um, by preserving land that fosters wild pollinators. Um, but a pollinator is any insect that will take nectar from one, you know, blossom, move it to another one and pollinate it. Um, Am I right? Am I getting my yeah elementary right. school? Yeah. They help. They help you know. the
0: trees get it on, right? Stomping yeah, Jen. That's right.
2: Yeah, they assist with the reproductive cycle of um, any like plants. You know, blooming, fruiting trees. Um, I am sounding like a <laughs> like a middle school student taking a social studies quiz right now. I mean, basically, we need we need bees. We need honeybees and bumblebees in order to grow tree fruit without them they they will not you know the, they'll bloom they they need to get pollinated by these insects in order to produce fruit um I, it, Japan's having some major issues with pollinators right now they are out there hand pollinating their blossoms with a little paintbrush because they have such intense pollinator collapse there and that could be us if we don't um listen to these folks like your guest who came on your show and talked about pollinator activism um
0: now is i i'm sorry
2: (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna push me to my limit on my knowledge here no that's okay i have collapsed and you know i know the pollinator populations are in danger and a lot of it has to do with the way that agricultural operations um you know the things that we spray and the times of day and the times of year that we spray them on are having some really complex impacts on mm-hmm. pollinator populations um there's a lot of mystery around it too like people don't really like what i understand is that there's a lot of theories about pollinator collapse and there's a couple of different diseases that they can get but we don't really know why like they're just failing in droves like all of a sudden it's like very alarming and very confusing
0: yeah do you um is the pollinator population up on your farm like healthy enough where it can do everything can they pollinate the trees like they need to or do you have to bring in i I know there are people out there who rent beehives Mm. like to farm to farms like do you have to do that or is the native population strong enough
2: there is a really strong native population presence out there i have um i've rented hives and i've had years where i did not rent hives and Mm. i have seen adequate pollination It does not seem to make a significant difference i will say when i walk out there during the apple tree bloom period i see a lot of bumblebees Mm -hmm. i see a lot of the and i think the bumblebees are really the ones that are kind of carrying the the show up Mm -hmm. here Mm because we've had some really crappy bloom um weather you know during the pollinating period um honeybees fly when i think it's like it's got to be at least 60 60 or 65 degrees or they won't really come out and fly around and do their thing bumblebees will come out when it's like 50 55 degrees so they're a little more hardy about Mm -hmm. the weather um so i do actively like i do my absolute utmost to protect pollinator populations i don't use any neonicotinoids which yeah. are the big culprit in terms of um insecticides that are sprayed by um, agricultural operations neonics are like they're getting the lens right now they're mm-hmm. getting the magnifying glass on that one because of um and now there's a warning on any neonic um like fungi like um, sorry insecticide that you buy there's a little there's a picture of a honeybee on it and it's like warning like this will kill pollinators and so yeah. I don't use anything that has that label um <laughs> and I don't spray anything um while pollinators are active like I, I just don't go out there with any kind, even if it's like a, you know, a nutrient foliar nutrient spray, I won't, I won't spray anything on them while they're out there actively, like active on the blonde, the the blooms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And that sounds, that sounds to me like it fits into this concept you talk about on your website about environmental accountability, right. As a philosophy, can Mm -hmm. you, can you expand a little bit more on what that means to you, that term environmental accountability?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, farms have a lot to answer for in terms of our the impact on the environment. Larger agricultural operations um, bear a huge responsibility in like in terms of like what's been causing climate change and um, um, water pollution. Um, there's a lot of issues with the way that we grow food right now um, and the future of our planet. And we need to change, we need to look at that and look at the way we're growing food. And we need to make some changes um, if we want to have a future on this planet mm. and, you know, keep eating food that, you know, that we grew. Mm. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's the responsibility of a, of a farmer to, um to do their absolute best to conserve resources and protect their soil and protect, um, surrounding environments, you know, that are impacted by the, uh, the activities on their farm. Um, because, you know, I don't think it's hard to see that (laughs) we need farmland and we need, we also need clean water and clean air and, Mm -hmm. and we need to start counteracting the, you know, all of the, circumstances that have led to climate change um and agricultural operations are a huge part of that and i will say that i i believe that agribusiness is really the big problem um Mm -hmm. but by being part of a network of small farms we are modeling an alternative to that yeah you know, we're showing that, hey, like, agriculture doesn't have to be like that, you know, it doesn't have to just suck the absolute life out of this planet and out of vulnerable populations. We can grow food and we can still be responsible, you know, for our environment and our land and take care of our workers. And, you know, it doesn't have to be this like actively you know destructive force. I love that. I love that.
0: My skin is tingling. Thank you. No, thank thank you for being part of that. Yeah. I mean I think I think it's going to be um small farms like yours and the people who support them who say we don't have to do it this other way. Right. And um so Speaking of the way people can support your farm, let's talk a little bit about your country store, if we could. Um, Yeah. You know, I I think um, I I love going there. Mm -hmm. Um, It has this kind of, um, I don't want to characterize it in a way you don't want to be characterized (laughs) from a marketing perspective, but it has kind of like an old timey, like small town feel to it, which I love. That is not like fluorescent lights and like a deli kind of feel to Mm. it it's like
1: it's like an indoor farm stand yeah
0: um (laughs) you know and and i have seen people in recent weeks like post on social media you know thank god this store is in our town because i needed this green ingredient and i ran down there they had it and i was able to buy everything else i needed or could think of so i just i wanted you to if you could just talk to us a little bit about what your goals were for the store and how they connect to your life as a farmer and tell us about that.
2: Yeah. um, Absolutely. Well, the store is, um, I mean, it's our retail outlet. Um, uh, I don't think that it's going to be a shock to you that um, small farms in this country and in this region are struggling on a whole and, Um, struggling to compete with larger agricultural operations that have a better economy of scale, struggling to compete in the wholesale marketplace, which has become globalized and, you know, which drives prices down. Um, So a lot of small farms are turning to direct market and, you know, getting my food straight from my field to the person who's going to bring it home and eat it um, eliminates the middleman and gets me the highest possible price point that I can get for that food, um, which enables me to, you know um treat my staff with economic dignity by paying them a living wage um, it allows me to afford to you know keep the overhead paid for and pay the bills at the end of the year um it's a lot more challenging for a smaller farm like mine to um sell fruit in a wholesale marketplace and still be able to um mm-hmm. pay for you know justify the costs of the inputs Um, because I just don't have the economy of scale that a giant orchard in Washington has. Um, I don't have 3000 acres and, you know, harvesting platforms and machinery to, you know, mechanically prune, like we do everything by hand. Um, And so having that direct retail marketplace um, is, is, is a hugely important piece of the business. Um, I need to, over the next few years, I need to shift, um, like right now, the majority of my apples are being sold wholesale and maybe about like 20% are being sold in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to shift that I want to be selling most of my apples direct Mm -hmm. to the consumer, either through the store or through pick your own and a much smaller percentage wholesale. And that will be a more sustainable business model. And that is not a unique story. I think that you'll find that there's a a lot of local farmers that are turning to a model that's more direct like that as a way to keep, you know, to survive. Yeah. Um, and it happens to have the effects of also, um, increasing, um, direct access, for the consumer as well, um, without the middleman, um, both the farmer and the customer can get a better deal. They get higher quality produce because yeah. it wasn't shipped from, you know, Chile. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. So it's overall, um, and that's that's our goal also with the store is to kind of highlight like, look at this vibrant selection of beautiful foods that we produce here just in the valley alone, and then mm-hmm. you know in the greater New England area. Like you don't need to look very far to find everything you need to feed your family. (laughs) I mean, we have it all. We, we are so blessed to live in this region. um, It is true.
1: It is true. Like, I feel like, you know, we can get 80 to 90% of our food items in local, you know, we, we, we do a mix of CSA, Local products, farmers markets, things like that. And it's very rare that, I mean, we do need the grocery store for the things yeah. that are packaged, you know, totally. those are the yeah. things. Toilet that paper. Get. and Right. Yeah. Exactly.
0: And and I think, I think, and this is one thing I wanted to ask you about. I, I think some people think, well, you know, maybe, um, I'm a single parent or I'm on the lower end of the, um, I- you know, income scale. I can't afford to shop you know that's for those rich people i can't Mm. go get a csa and your your store accepts state um food benefit programs could you talk a little bit about that and what and and maybe why i don't i don't want to ask you to speak um get on a social platform soapbox but why it's important (laughs) to offer fresh like healthy foods to everybody regardless of income
2: yeah, I'd love to talk about that. This sure. is something that's really important to me, too. Um, so in the state of Massachusetts, we have the HIP program. Have you heard of this?
0: It's HIP, um, right? The Healthy Healthy,
2: healthy Incentives yep. Program, where people who have SNAP benefits have a certain set monthly amount that they can spend on fruits and vegetables that gets refunded to their card immediately. So it's basically free money to them to buy fruits and vegetables. And this is huge because... Um, There it's it's uh, fruits and vegetables are more expensive than like ramen, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, you know, like you look if you're a low income parent and you're shopping for food to feed your family and you've got, you know, $80 left on your snap card for the rest of the month or something and you're looking at a bunch of broccoli that's like 250 and a case of ramen that's the same price and the broccoli has 40 calories in it and the case of ramen has 3000 calories worth of food in it right. you know which which one's going to last you to the end of the month you know which one's going to fill more bellies um so it's really challenging you know coming from that um background to be able to afford to make good decisions about what to feed your children and it's really that's the key piece is it's all about children's nutrition and breaking the poverty cycle by getting kids better you know better quality food so that they can stay focused in school so they can stay focused on their goals they can do better they can have a better income when they grow up because they're going to make it through they're more likely to make it through school if they have good nutrition um that is a huge part of what the hip program is about and Mm -hmm. i think it's it's an incredibly important thing that i'm really excited to be able to offer in my store um
0: Thank you for doing that. I think that's an important thing to do for the community. So I think that's great. Um,
2: <clears throat> yeah, I think it's great that the state has that program. I think it it, mm-hmm. it will have very far-reaching benefits yeah. for generations.
0: And um, how important is it for you as a as a farmer and, and owner-operator to have a physical space where you can um, meet the people who are going to eat the stuff you grow? Does that... Scratch some kind of itch for you.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Um. Yeah. You know. I.
0: Sorry. That probably wasn't the most elegant I, way um, to ask that question. No, I, get but... I get what you're saying. I know what you're saying.
2: I um. I do appreciate it a lot. I think it gives me a way to. It gives me a chance to to interface directly with the people who want to know mm-hmm. what my practices are like. You know why yeah. my farm is different from other farms you know what are we about um it makes it easier to like break that third wall sort of you know what i mean Mm -hmm. The fourth wall is that what they say in in the theater the third wall the fourth wall i think it's the fourth fourth wall the fourth wall yeah Yeah, like yeah (laughs) you know what i'm saying it's um i i'm (laughs) i i never expected to have such a like full service you know grocery store that um that offers people these staple foods like I thought maybe I'd have like an apple stand and it turned into this big crazy complicated thing but um I really um uh, I really loved being able to be there for people during the early months of COVID Mm. when the supermarket was like a frightening place oh yeah um, and the shelves were bare and people were like visibly frightened when they would come, they would go there first and then they'd come to my place and they'd be like, you could see the relief like mm-hmm. wash over their face when they realized like, oh, thank God you have bread, you have eggs you know you have milk like (laughs) you have you have what i need to feed my family like this week like the relief was palpable and i was like thank god we got this place going in time
0: we were one of those families yeah yeah we were one of those families who relied on your your (laughs) store when we were no literally i'm not even yeah 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 um
1: when you couldn't get a peapot delivery for like two weeks and you're like what are we supposed to do and you have to um Oh, so but i'm curious can yeah. i just ask a question mm-hmm. really quick so when you thought about like you know you just said you you thought about selling apples and then it exploded into this more complicated thing because you guys also offer like prepared foods and did you yeah. ever expect to offer prepared foods in that store because it's a huge <laughs> hit and people love your prepared foods
2: yeah i um the the kitchen you know i initially started like you know whatever we'll have like apples and stuff and and like we'll serve cider donuts and coffee right Mm -hmm. well I bought this donut fryer and I dragged it out there I don't I didn't know a damn thing about any of this stuff I was just like I'll just like hook up this fryer in this garage right I can do this (laughs) (laughs) and then it turns out that when you have a a fryer like a a grease donut fryer like that you need an Ansel system you need a hood you need a commercial fire alarm system you need a full blown commercial kitchen to have a donut fryer to serve donuts so I sort of backed into this idea of like well if I want to have cider donuts right (laughs) I have to have this full kitchen so I may as well like I'm either not having gonna have cider donuts or I'm gonna like lean into the concept of like doing like all these prepared foods because I'm not gonna spend you know this huge amount of money to like Mm -hmm. renovate and put in this commercial kitchen right? just for donuts you know what i mean (laughs) right (laughs) yeah all right we're doing soup we're doing sandwiches we're doing you know we're Mm -hmm. gonna use up like produce that's going bad outside the you know before it gets slimy we're gonna make a soup out of this thing we're gonna you know Mm -hmm. what i mean it just turned into (laughs) it's
1: (laughs) It's great it's great people rave about it so yeah that's good I'm i'm glad i want to hear
0: um, i wanted to congratulate you on winning the amherst area chamber of commerce 2020 a plus awards for leader in innovation so i'm gonna I
1: just wanted to use the Ooh, sound yeah we, we we, we,
0: we, we doled that <laughs> well, out it's an sp- honor. Yeah, yeah we dole that out sparsely here on the podcast so no wow. but um seriously congratulations i think i think that is a testament to all of the work you're doing and um i wanted to ask you um if you could talk a little bit maybe about um some of the innovative things you're trying to do um in terms of farming retail social media you know that kind of stuff um you know
2: Yeah, so I think um, what they had cited me for was um, finding innovative ways to work with other, like to work cooperatively with Mm -hmm. other local businesses. And they cited the batch ice cream truck, you know, that Mm -hmm. we invited to park there once a week during the season. Um, so we're, we're really all about, um, community and not just in terms of like our relationship to like our customers, but also our relationship to other local businesses, um, in the area as well, Mm -hmm. and trying to find ways to use our platform to support other local businesses who then in turn use their platform to support us. Um, So that we're getting a lot of this like cross boosting Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, we carry uh, like Quiver, um, those coffee Mm -hmm. beverages uh, that they make. And then they're going to say, you know, in their newsletter, like Phoenix Fruit Farm is this great place that carries our beverage. And have you checked out their cider donuts? So like Mm -hmm. we kind of creating these unique ways to, like, sort of organically connect with other local entrepreneurs, you know, in, in the spirit of cooperation, Um, yeah. and even with other local farmers, you know, I think, like, there's this I feel like the American consciousness has this image of a farmer as like an old white man who's like shaking his fist at his neighbor like I'm gonna get you you know know, like Hatfield and McCoy's like you know it's very competitive like that's that's kind of the um like that's how we always think of like oh competing businesses they're always trying to you know sabotage each other and like trip each other up and on their way to the finish line, but we, we're trying to sort of, um, it
0: sounds like the podcasting, um, industry.
2: <laughs> yeah, <like> just, <laughs> yeah. Just constantly like at each other's throats and trying to tear each other down in the spirit of competition. But, um, you know, we believe that we, we do better when we cooperate, even yeah. if it's with businesses that are similar to ours, like yeah. other, other farms, other orchards in the area, you know, yeah. instead of ragging on, you know, like I, like I got my predatory mites from Clarkdale Orchards, they're yeah. up in Sunderland area and they're friends of mine. And, you know, we know each yeah. other, we, we exchange information. We see each other at, we're, we're all members of the Mass Fruit Growers Association together. Like we, right. um, have a spirit of cooperation. And I, I believe that, um, when we cooperate with each other, we all do better, yeah. And I think there's a lot that can be done there. And oh no, I'm gonna start getting into a social justice platform and you're gonna be mad. But no, we're no. all about social <laughs>
0: justice here.
2: Okay. Yeah. One example in farming. Um, say I'm selling my strawberries for, you know, six dollars a quart or whatever, which I think is too cheap, but you know, I do I do that when I can. I can I sell it what I think is fair, what I think I can, you know, pay workers on. Say my neighbor who also has strawberries sells his for five bucks a quart because he's like oh my neighbor up the street selling them for six i'm gonna sell them for five and get all the customers right what does that neighbor have to do to um sell his strawberries cheaper than me he either has to like take a loss or he has to pay his workers less um so when farmers do this to each other or any business really but i'm just mm-hmm. using farming as an example cuz i'm a farmer and this is the type of shit that i keeps me up at night you know mm-hmm. don't ask me why um <laughs> it, instead of those two farmers getting together and saying hey um what price are you you know do you want to like set for strawberries this year what's going to work for you what's going to work for me let's sell our strawberries at the same price and our customers can decide who's they like better. Um, but you know, we're not going to hurt our workers. We're not going to use cheaper chemicals and hurt the environment. We're going to make a, we're going to get together and cooperate or, or e- even better next level. Hey man, I'm going to grow strawberries this year. Why don't you grow squash and turnips? I'll sell your squash and turnips at my stand. Mm-hmm. You can sell my strawberries at your stand, you know, getting together on stuff instead of, you know, slinging mud, um, everybody does better. Yeah. Um, that's the big, uh, thing that I feel like, you know, the, that leadership and innovation award was really sort of based around like the concept of cooperative business, mm. um, as opposed to competitive.
1: I love
0: yeah, that. I love that too.
2: I'm all about collaboration. I, I've
0: got a couple of softballs for you in our last 10 minutes or so together. <laughs> um, okay. Um, this one is, this one's an obvious one. Um, What do you wish people knew about farming that you think most people probably don't know?
2: Oh gosh. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever, I'm going to answer your question with another question. Okay, sure. (laughs) Um, Have you ever seen the docu-series Rotten? It's about the food industry. I Um, think
0: we've seen a few episodes.
2: There's like, the first episode is about the avocado industry and, um, i don't the, know but i'm interested deleterious effects of it on like you know in chile and in mexico and mm-hmm. i i wish that people um knew the price of these convenience foods of eating stuff year round um that isn't really in season of shipping food from other countries um i i wish that people would watch that docuseries
0: okay
2: recommendation right. is, is that okay yeah I- yes. no absolutely 100 no, it's, it's it's entertaining and it's super informative and I want we'll, to watch and it and
0: we will put a link to it in the show notes yeah, we'll for the pod, for the podcast along with all of the links um to ellie ellie's website yeah. social media yeah. like we're gonna put all of that in the podcast show notes um okay so people go watch rotten okay um, yeah, the well, I mean, ba-
2: basically, I wish that, like, I wish, uh, what I want to say is, like, I wish that people knew how impactful it is for them to buy local, like, and when you watch this docuseries, you can really see, like, holy shit, like,
0: yeah.
2: stuff that happens, you know, in the name of a globalized food system is so, it's, it's shocking, um, mm-hmm. the things that, that we do, you know, in the name of the holy dollar, um, mm-hmm. To get food out into the world, it's just so mm. sad. Um, I- buying local breaks breaks the you know breaks the cycle. It's so important.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Something we believe in here at no, the soft server. No, I feel podcast. guilty
2: for buying avocados and bananas. Oh no, no, no. If if they're fair trade, <laughs> okay. you know, make sure that they're yep. fa- Watch the episode again because okay. at the at the end of each you're like, oh, this is so depressing, this is so awful. But at the end of the episode, they will give you like suggestions on like, oh, I bet you're really upset about avocados now. Here's what you can do as a mm-hmm. consumer. Right. Like you can still eat avocados, but you have to look for XYZ when you buy them. Okay. And, you know, so it's 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 you know, it's not all doom and gloom. Okay. Um, Thank but, you. Yeah.
0: Here's so. a fun here's a fun question. What is the strangest or most interesting thing you've dug up on the farm?
2: Oh man. Um <laughs> oh gosh, what if I uh no okay. Uh there was oh that was just like an, there was an old tire under this field that I just started prepping for vegetables. Um, you know, I haven't like, other than like giant, giant rocks and like really gross animal carcasses, which my dog digs up. I don't dig (laughs) up. (laughs) My dog has found some, some pretty gross, um, Corpses, not human, but you know, animal corpses.
0: Do you ever Uh, worry about coming across like an old, like human corpse or like something? (laughs) These... I will
2: now. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't worried before. I'm just saying these
0: are really old, like old <laughs> fields old, and yeah. old woods. Man. Who knows what's out there? That's true.
2: I've I've heard that like there might be like arrowheads, like Native American mm-hmm. arrowheads or something in the area. Yeah, but I've never seen those. I I hate to tell you, I haven't dug up anything that's gonna like you know make you fall out of your chair. You know. Yeah. But,
0: okay. That's, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Um. We,
2: we found a weird. What was that lawn?
1: It was like a lawn. We had to look it up. It was like a lawn. Like a grass cutter. Like a grass like a, cutter. You swing. Like an old fashioned yeah. iron. Oh, like a scythe. Yeah. 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 yeah okay.
2: Yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> so uh, I don't want to ask you to reveal any secret plans. Um, where do you, where do you plan to take the farm into the future?
2: Um, I, I want to diversify and get a really vibrant direct market going. I want to grow as many vegetables, um, as you can grow in new England. I'd love to have like a very wide array of, of, you know, a very extended season of all kinds of different types of fruits and vegetables. And, um, I'd like to, to sell most of them direct to the public, Mm -hmm. to my community, um, as opposed to boxing them and shipping them out, you know,
0: to like a warehouse. All right. You're good. So. Okay. Thank you. Um, so people look forward to that. All right. You're going to, you're probably going to slap me for asking this question. What do you like to do for fun when you're not working? Because I'm sure you're always working because you own a farm, but.
2: I, I do have some, especially this time of year, I get to have hobbies. Um, I play in an Irish band. Um, I play fiddle in below the gaff we sell our cds in the store if you want to check us out oh write that down Um, Uh, what's it called below
0: (laughs) below the gaff
2: below the gaff okay g-a-f-f like
0: got it uh, yep
2: and it's like irish folk music um and so during covid we've been doing just a lot of digital stuff like swapping tracks and building songs um like i've i've been doing the music editing and i've actually learned a lot about um using music editing software and that's been kind of a new cool covid hobby what do
0: you what do you use what program adobe
2: audition i was using audacity but it's so buggy and it's so old and and i you know i spent like hours working up like this beautiful fiddle instrumental for this song Mm -hmm. and then audacity crashed and destroyed it all and i was like no
0: i've been and dipping it, <laughs> my toes into the audition waters too
2: oh you i have? like it yeah and it took me a minute going from audacity to audition but i like i like yeah. adobe audition
0: although obviously. my my mainstay is still GarageBand. it's it's so oh, simple okay. i love it yeah, yeah that's
2: the mac program right yep. yeah mm-hmm. yep. yeah so i'm not a, i'm a pc person yeah
0: it's okay so. yeah i still i still okay, i says. i still va- Do you forgive me i still oh value goodness. you as a human being um, okay. all right last 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 question i promise and, it's, and you can but you
1: didn't ask her if she wanted to talk about anything uh, before because, you ask your final oh, question okay
0: yeah um thank you i'm Stomping Jen, I'm so, I am so I grateful. He's, like,
1: racing against the clock now. Just well, like. oh, you're fine.
2: If we, we can go a few minutes over. Okay. I'm st-
0: okay. Stomping Jen keeps me tethered. Thank you. I, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that's it. That's good. Um, so, um, <clears throat> Ellie, is there anything you want to... Um, anything else you'd like to tell us about or promote or plug before I ask you my final, most interesting final, question? Final question. Yes.
2: Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, other than just, you know, you're thank you so much for continuing to support my store. Um, the winter can be a really, uh, slow time and we just, the sales just drop after Christmas and it's always just like a shock to the system. So it's really exciting to see that it was a less intense drop. And I feel like the community is really kind of holding us a little bit more this winter. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to make sure that everyone who's listening knows like, even if you just come in and buy a cup of soup, like, it it means so much to us to just get people in there and just do a little shopping during the winter. So come on by. We have great food. We've got smiling faces. You can get curbside pickup. My staff are really patient and they're happy to help you through if you're not sure what you want to order. They'll walk you through the whole store and you can ask a million questions and so, you know, shop mm-hmm. local.
1: Yay. Awesome. All right, you're itching for All your right. last question. He loves this question. Okay.
0: Um, and you so you can interpret this any way you want. Um, it's not a trick question <laughs> of any kind. We've received many different types of answers to this question. Okay. What have you seen that you cannot explain?
2: Ooh. Oh, <laughs> man. What have I seen that I cannot explain? Ah. Uh, I believe that Howard Atkins, the late Howard Atkins, is haunting my orchard.
1: Oh, no.
0: Oh. Did you see something that, or hear I'd something? S-
2: yes. The first year when I was up here... Um, during the bloom season i was spraying at night i was spraying a foliar nutrient in the night because you know during the the bloom period you can't spray during the day because the pollinators are out there so Mm -hmm. you know i needed to put on a a boron application um and so i was out there spraying it was like 11 o'clock it was getting on to, like, midnight. Okay. And I had the headlights on in the tractor. And it was just me, you know, up here. And this place is creepy as fuck at night. Excuse mm-hmm. my language. But it's really <laughs> creepy out here at night. The apple trees are all gnarly, and they look like they're, like, yeah. dancing. Like, they're going to come on grab you, you know? So it was yeah. already, like, kind of spooky anyway. So I'm going along with the headlights on. I'm spraying the trees. And I see, I swear to God, I saw a dude wearing, um... Like a baseball cap and a flannel hat And he had glasses, looked like an older man Walked across The path like You know I was like spraying down a row and he walked Past the row like walked through the row Crossed my path basically Between the trees and then my disappeared God. Into the orchard and I was like Oh fuck oh my God. And I had no idea it just creeped me out I had no idea who it was but it was And it was like midnight and I was like I'm I'm not getting out of the tractor right now because I'm I'm in the middle of, of um yeah. this this job and I need to get it done. And I was just like but I was creeped the hell out. And then a couple of weeks later, and this is like before I'd really gotten deep into like cleaning up the orchards mm-hmm. and like the the office area that was in here. But a couple of weeks later I was cleaning up in the shed, going through the old desk, and I found a photo of Howard Atkins and he was and he was wearing that same shirt and oh, the same Jesus. hat. What? and I was like oh god Stopping no word of a lie <laughs> I'm getting like, like tingles <laughs> I got tingles too <laughs> I'm like having tingles remembering it because I, it freaked me the hell out that's crazy um, but wow. he, 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 he just wanted me to know that he was he was here
0: well thank you for sharing that story with us um... did you
2: ever see him again Oh, yes. I mean, I haven't seen him, but he's been he's he's he messes with me when I'm at the warehouse at night, like I'll um, turn a light on in one of the storage rooms and then I'll go out, you know, like I've definitely been in there, like getting wholesale orders ready for the next day, like kind of late. And then I'll, like, come back and, like, you know, I'll, like, turn all the lights off. And then I'll, like, go into the bathroom and come back out. And one of the lights I turned off is back on again. And I'm, like, I know I'm the only person in here. and, Yeah, just little things. Like, he's just, like, I'm here. Oh, wow. It's really spooky and and freaking weird, man. Thank you for sharing. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Like I said, (laughs) old old lands and old woods. Yeah. Yeah. All Uh, right. Ellie Vaughn from phoenix fruit farm in belchertown massachusetts we have taken up enough of your time so i want to say thank you um for joining us it it was a delight absolutely um i enjoyed i really enjoyed talking to you so thank thanks. you
2: the feeling is mutual thanks for having me it was it was great to chat with you guys and you know during these covid days it's always nice to see people's faces even yeah. through a, a screen yeah. so yeah
0: stomping jen yes thank you
1: oh thank you
0: for um, being my my ever present co host to to our fans, thank you. Thank you. We love you. Thank you for your continued support, mm-hmm. for your downloads, mm-hmm. for your um, frankly disappointing um, infrequent interactions on social media. But I know you're out there. <laughs> you're downloading us in ever increasing numbers. So thank you. Yep. Um, but you could do a little bit more for us. And just being honest, fans, please. Um, but we still love you yes we do love you and i'm just yep. kidding no you're great um what else stomping jen uh be safe be safe
1: wear a mask wear a mask get vaccinated
0: all of that stuff right all that stuff okay Now we're um, gonna say and finally we love you and goodbye bye now i mean bye now
1: responsibility, that all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity, and that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth, and that in the goodness of
2: time,
0: all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed.